1: to the Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast. Welcome to another Frightfest Preview Series podcast from Britflix. My name is Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me director Todd Tucker. Hello Todd. Hello Stuart, thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure, it's my pleasure. And we're talking about your movie, The Terror of Hallows Eve, are we not? Yes, we are. And that's playing at Frightfest, hence the Frightfest preview series. So, for those people who are in the process of choosing what films to see and what not to see, do you want to give people a brief synopsis as to what The Terror of Hallows Eve is about?
0: Sure. Uh, It's actually based on some true events that happened to me when I was about 14 years old. Um, It's uh, the lead character in the movie's name is Tim. And uh, basically what happens is he has a crush on a girl that works at the local uh, uh, liquor store where he gets his Fangoria magazine. Uh, he finally has the opportunity to talk to her. She's way out of his league. He's like 18, she's like 18 years old. He's 13, so it's never going to happen. But ultimately, uh, he gets a, uh, a, a an opportunity to talk to her a little bit, and then as he's walking out of the store, and this all happened to me, actually. As he's walking out of the store, her 18-year-old boyfriend walks in, and she makes a comment that he's a cute kid. And uh, ultimately, uh, the boyfriend goes outside, meets his other two friends, and beats the crap out of the kid. Um, for no reason, and this, this did actually all happen to me. Uh, it's Halloween, the kid uh, walks home and uh, finds a strange pumpkin, takes it home, carves it, wishes revenge on the bullies that beat him up, and uh, is visited by a creature that wishes, or, or grants his wish, and turns his house into a nightmare poltergeist, of which uh, Timmy lures the bullies back, and they are all taken care of appropriately.
1: <laughs> now, when... When your film said based on actual events, I wasn't expecting literally based on your events.
0: Yeah. Yeah, literally the entire first thirty minutes of the film, everything in there happened exactly the way
1: I, I showed it. Fantastic, fantastic. So I guess is that is that where from a screenplay point of view you're you're noted down with a story credit in terms of developing this?
0: Correct, correct. I, I wrote the, uh, the outline, about a 30, 40-page outline, and then I had a friend of mine, a great writer named Zach Ward, a really good actor too. Uh, he's actually in the movie playing himself at one point. Uh, Zach came in and, and uh, did the screenplay for me and uh, just knocked it out of the park. He was great.
1: So in that sense then, with, with, with you with playing with elements that were sort of um, semi-autobiographical and then letting somebody else go ahead and make it into a dramatic fiction... What, what, what were the what were the stresses and strains there in terms of developing the screenplay out from that point?
0: Well, we worked. We really worked together on the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. Zach, Zach put in a lot of oh, most of the dialogue, but as far as the story points, we we literally sat in my office for a month and just figured everything out and and all the twists and turns and basically had the entire blueprint ready to go before he started the first draft. So I was I was very involved because I wanted to make sure that not only did we land the real story correctly? And it was really important to me that it was as close to what I remembered as a kid. But once we get into the nightmarish, um, horrifics uh, part of it, I wanted to make sure that it was continuous even though it was a big switch from a real world to a fantasy world. I wanted to make sure that it felt cohesive and it all came together nicely and, and we had the right scares and the right moments in the film. And again, I wanted to make sure that it felt like a 1980s genre film because that's really what I'm paying homage to.
1: Without, without a shadow of a doubt, you're paying homage to that. Um, oh, yeah. And, and while I was watching it, I got completely freaked out by knowing the music at one point.
0: There's, yeah. And I was yeah. like, why,
1: I had to Shazam your film while while I was... I had to, I had to go back to, to 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 know what it was. You know, when I finished the film, went back to the scene, and I was like, what the hell was that? And it's, and it's John Carpenter. <laughs> So I am
0: such a huge John Carpenter fan. Literally, the reason why I make horror movies is because of the movie Halloween. Uh, It it changed my life. And I had the fortune of working with his wife, Sandy King, um, who's his manager also, a few years ago uh, on the project. And I reached out to her when we were putting this together. And I never expected it in a million years because I know John doesn't let anyone use his music. And uh, I reached out to her. And he has two CDs out right now called John Carpenter's Lost Themes that he just did a world tour on that was amazing. Mm you got to see it. If you haven't seen it, check it out if it's if it's on YouTube or, or anything like that. But I knew he was doing that tour, and he has the two CDs called The Lost Themes. And I asked her if I could use uh, one song from each CD, and I never expected her to say yes. And then she called me back the next day and said, John said you're good to go. And I, I literally jumped out of my seat and started dancing. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing.
1: That is outrageous good fortune. But I suppose the old <laughs> adage, you don't ask, you don't get, comes into play there, doesn't it?
0: You know what? You can never, ever know really what's going to happen. Always, always take the chance and, and just go for it. And, and a lot of times it happens and you don't expect it to happen.
1: It's a beautiful little bit of meta happening to your film, isn't it, really? Given, given like you say, your ode to the 80s and, and the idea of a piece of music written by a guy that is known for, not just for directing, obviously, but for the sound of, of, what, of what 80s horror films are like. But actually to get an album that he put out as a piece of music, not as, a like you say, lost, The Lost Themes. Um, and to get that to use that in the film is really is really great. Now,
0: for me too, it was great too because for John to allow me to use his, his uh, music really meant you know I had a stamp of approval by my all time favorite director of all time. So I mean it was like a it was a it was a dream come true for me truly. So
1: one of the one of the things that that, that is going to going to be stand out for anyone that gets to see a movie is the practical effects of what we're gonna, what you what you're going to what you treat us to in the film. Um I'm guessing I'm yep. guessing you played a strong hand in all that, didn't you, really?
0: Yeah, our company Illusion Industries, mm-hmm. we're known for special effects makeup. Um we've I've worked on over a hundred studio films and television films doing uh, creatures and monsters and all that. So when we started this project, we wanted this to be an extravaganza of practical creatures, and again, keeping it in that 1980s vibe. But I will say, we have a hundred visual effects shots in this film, and a good portion of them are actually enhancing our practical creatures. So it was a beautiful marriage between, you know, the the current technology, but keeping that visual look of uh, that 1980s vibe. So. Um, and I don't know that you can tell, I don't think you can actually tell where the visual effects come in necessarily, but it's, it's pretty seamless. And that was a a huge thing for me to make sure that the visual effects and the creatures in this movie not only felt familiar, but at the same time, the design of them, uh, was unique enough that, uh, it it stood out and wasn't quite anything you've seen before.
1: No, no. Well, I, I, I certainly didn't. and, And I think that's, that alludes to something that's a truism for a lot of... I mean, you, you, you work in, in the business, and, and it's true of a lot of stuff, isn't it? The visual effects is often isn't always about the idea of making something appear that isn't there, but actually to make something seem even more real than it is.
0: If you're paying attention to what is a visual effect, then it's, it's, you're out of the film. You've already <laughs> lost your... you're you're, you're looking at something and you're thinking about something else if visual effects work you should never actually realize that you're watching the visual effects unless you're watching you know if you're watching transformers or something like that you know that going into it because it is what it is but you shouldn't be focusing on it it needs to fly right by you and if it takes you out of the film then you you've lost the battle
1: so tell me where did you come up with your idea for the trickster
0: uh, believe it or not. So in the story, I can give this away in the story in real, in the real world. When I got beat up, I walked home. My mom was a single mom. She was never home. I came home, went in my garage, started sculpting a, a creature and literally was bleeding all over my table. I, and I had a concussion. I mean, I was beat up pretty bad. And I remember looking at posters in my work area and looking at the monsters and going, God, I wish, I wish, I wish I could transform into a monster and go back and just beat the hell out of those guys. And I started thinking back then, you know, how great it would be if if something could help me achieve this. And so when I started uh, coming up with the concept for the film, I wanted to come up with a creature that was a that was kind of sympathetic so that it could trick you into making a deal with him. Mm. And that was the trick because I, I wanted to look different than anything we've seen, but it had to be a character that a 14 year old kid would put his trust into at a desperate moment. And then as we know, things change and uh, we, we realize he's a very two faced character, but Doug Jones playing that character brought a life to it that no one else could have done. And Doug, not only is he the greatest creature performer in the world, but he is an amazing actor, and no one ever uses his voice, and I told him when I told him about the character, I'm like, look, I want to use your voice, I want to use everything, I want it to be a Doug character, and he goes, well, how do you want to act? And I said, you don't really have to act that much, I want your sweetness to come through so that this kid would actually trust you, and then we'll change it later, and he said, I get it, I get it, so, and he nailed it, he truly nailed it, he's so awesome in the film.
1: (laughs) So you're kinda you kinda living you living out or reliving out a kind of fourteen year old fantasy into a movie.
0: Absolutely. And and that being said, I, I have to say, um, some of the scenes in the first half hour of the film when we were shooting it, because I, I truly made it as real as I could remember, were, we're kinda hard to get through because it's not a happy film and the kid is is getting, you know, kind of messed up everywhere he goes. So it was all you know, there's a couple times with the mom and some of the conversations where they're, they're having problems. And I remember a lot of those moments. And when we were shooting it, I had to step outside a couple times. It was a little tough.
1: So so is, is, is the I mean, you know, I want you to, to sort of press you on it or anything. But so so the kind of ghost of the, the absent father is a, is a truism for you in terms of what you what you're bringing from a personal point of view. Well, not only that, uh, I
0: actually, the guy, Christian Kane who plays uh, my dad in the movie, he is awesome. He's so good, and he actually looks just like my dad. He's very similar. So not only, and that was even weirder because the fact that he looked like him and I'm watching these scenes play out, it was it was a bit of a flashback. But I did it on purpose. I wanted it to be as, as close to what I remembered, and, and he did a, a great job. He plays a pretty mean guy, and I, I don't know if he's played anyone like that before.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it, he's he's, def- he's definitely because um, cause you you set him up nicely in terms of the sort of when you're establishing who he, who he is and who he was in terms of Tim's timby and our central character, which I guess is the, the 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 kid that's based on on your experiences. But then when you you pay off that relationship later on in the movie, and I won't I won't I won't say any more than that for not, not to spoil anything. But it really works, doesn't it? You know, it's it,
0: it was hard too because. When we shot a few of the scenes, there's some domestic violence, there's some drug addiction. I mean, there's some stuff in the film that's very real. Um, mm. And it was real. And the thing is, is when we were shooting it, I had a number of people come up to me afterwards and go, oh man, I, re- I remember something like that. And it, it affected people on set. So a lot of the negative stuff in the film, including the bullying and the domestic violence, all that stuff, it's very relatable. And it, it seems to be hitting a core with a lot of people.
1: And. And the great thing about your, your, your getting the wish, as it were, with the strange pumpkin and him wanting his revenge, in, in, in the truest sort of, you know, in the origins of, of Monkey's Paw, whatever you wish for isn't, you might get what you want, but the outcome isn't exactly what you really needed.
0: Well, the problem is, is anytime time you make a wish, it comes with a price. Mm. And the price is dependent on how big the wish is. And if you are wishing for something that is a bad thing, then uh, you're going to have to pay a price.
1: Now I don't even know how to approach this part of it because there's there's an there's an element of the the story which is as Tim's coming to grips with that notion that that he's he's being he is being taken for a ride here. This isn't this is out of his control, despite the fact that he obviously set the ball rolling. Um, right. And it's and it's as the story builds, you've got one of you. I think one of the, the final people who who gets the revenge on. I won't even say who it is, because that that would be too much. But that's a genuinely shocking moment. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it's funny. Without giving it away, because it's a great moment. Yeah. um, I made so many people mad with that exact piece. um, Because, and I was really nervous that I wasn't going to be able to set it up so that you didn't see it come... But apparently no one sees it coming. And then when it comes, it really shocks the audience. And I'm really happy that it worked because I was nervous that it, it might be anticipated or something like that. But we have a couple pieces in here that you're not expecting at all. No, no, that kept...
1: completely subverts expectations. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm dying to be more specific so I can make myself understood. But obviously we understand each other in terms of the moment we're talking about. Because when, when, we're, when we're getting towards it, your expectations are, oh, right, this is, the, this is where we start to take control. <laughs> we, we, we use what we know, and then we take right. control. And, yeah, you subvert all that expectation and take us then somewhere else. Yeah. When this, when,
0: when people read the script and they saw what happened to that piece, they they were like, you can't do that, you can't do that. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you I can't just, do it. let not do that. <laughs> You it's, have to do that. Are you kidding me? This is. is not a happy ending. Yeah, I'm I was going you. to say
1: it's a pure. It's, it's like the purest. In, 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 I mean, there's lots of horror in the movie, but that is the purest horror moment because you're you're kind of you're, you're now into the realms of what's just and what's not just. And correct. This, this doesn't feel just. No, this is This no, is the evil of the, the
0: truth. But that's why it has so much impact, which is great. Because I was again, I was really worried that it might not work, but the fact that it does just made me so happy.
1: Now you've you've uh, you've got the trickster, but obviously there's there's all kinds of other um, effects going on. I mean, it's, it's it's there's there's a creature that you've got that's, that's sort of confined to the house. That's sort of you know reminiscent of um, some of the some of the uh, some of the creature stuff in um, Peter Jackson's *Brain Dead*, for example. You know the the whole kind of almost like a like like a almost like a huge. It's, it's a real thing, isn't it? That the scale and everything isn't pretend, is it?
0: No, we have, we have, I think, over a dozen creature characters. Um, half of them, more than half of them, are puppets. we used a lot of puppets in the film. Mm. Um, I actually have Doug Jones playing two characters in the movie. He also plays another character uh, uh, called Scarecrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's yeah.
0: In, yeah, and he, he's amazing in that, too. And it was cool because I wanted to make sure that the body language of Doug was completely different for both characters, and, and he... Totally, you can't even tell other than the fact that maybe you realize his neck is longer, or, or the things about that physically. But ultimately, his body movement in both characters is so different that it's it's just amazing. Um, and and the puppeteers, I had some great puppeteers that came in, top of the line puppeteers that came in and did uh, the marionettes and all the different creatures, puppets and stuff. So I I got really lucky. I pulled in the best of the best and did a lot of favors.
1: Can you can you give us some some sort of the sort of benefits to to the filmmaker of having such such presence I guess presence is one of the reasons why it works, I suppose. Is having such a real presence in the film, you know, of a of a creature bounding around, of a creature coming to get you, you know, as opposed to imagine a creature coming to get you. For 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 you directing and for your actors to to play off.
0: Yeah, I mean there was there was a couple times um um, I have Juliet Landau. I actually plays two characters in the film also. She plays a, a a nurse character that's a normal person, and then she plays one of the creatures. And it's funny because uh, one of my bully actors, when we were shooting, uh, Juliet as one of the creatures, was coming towards him, and we called Cut, and he's a big, studly dude, and he came up to me, and he was shaking. And he goes, I, I'm, I'm a little creeped out. Can we take, like, a minute? And I said, no, hell no. Let's shoot. I want to see this. So... <laughs> <laughs> said, no, I'm using it, man. We're rolling. Action. So uh, it was cool because I definitely got reactions out of the actors. And also my girl character, April, uh, she's being cornered by uh, one of the big, big creatures at one point in time. And she was crying, and we cut, and she kept crying, and she was freaking out. And she told me, I'm, I'm legitimately freaking out. And I said, I'm going to keep shooting. <laughs> That's amazing. Choice, go ahead. So it was good. I, I scared my actors, and it definitely showed up on set. Oh, I'm sorry, on the screen.
1: It's. I, I don't know if you. I mean, there's no reason why you would know this, but you're you're the second film in Fright Fest this year that's got uh, stars of uh, of Buffy in in the cast. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Brent, Brendan is in is in a British a British production called Redwood. Um, oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, between uh, Doug Jones and Juliet and Christian, we've got three three alumni from uh, Angel and Buffy.
1: Yeah, so it's like it feels like Friday Fest is 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 like a, a sort of a, a follow-on, unofficial celebration of Buffy in, in genre as well.
0: <laughs> I'll just advertise it that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, as well, you know uh, that um, that Death Note's playing as well, which has you know a kind of same but different wish fulfillment. Sort of demon playing with a teenager's mind.
0: Nice, nice. I can't wait to get there and see some of these films. I'm excited.
1: So you 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 bring in your sort of your company's ideas and imagination to a film you're now directing. What what, what were some of your favourite tools you were able to get out the box that you know you thought right? I'm going to have some fun here because it's my film.
0: Uh, you know, it was cool because. Um, I've had a lot of experience in shooting green screen and, and shooting different characters, uh, creatures, makeups, puppets, and stuff. So for me, really, what the 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 biggest challenge was for me to come up with um, come up with characters again that felt familiar, like an '80s vibe, mm-hmm. but again had a a new design look to it. And uh, my key uh, artist, Martin Astles, who designed uh, pretty much everything in the film, I, I had to step back because since I was directing and writing and doing all this other stuff, I I didn't want to. Um, jump in and try to design stuff when, when Martin is so amazing at doing it. It was better for me just to let him design it. So he designed everything for the most part. Mm. And, um, and I really wanted to make sure that the design stood out and that we utilized the green screen and utilized um, all the different tricks that we know how to do from working on other films so that we got the biggest and, and, and best production value out of, out of what we were doing. So for me, the challenge was to make sure that we used all of our skills to the extreme.
1: And how did you manage to, to sort of keep that separation? I mean, there must have been temptation at, at different junctures in making the movie to just say, "Oh, give me, a, I, I, or, you know, or having to keep telling yourself it's not your responsibility.
0: You know, it's hard for me because uh, I, I tend to want to jump in and be hands-on because that's what I've done forever. So it was a little bit difficult for me to just back off. Mm. Um, i I directed a film, my first film that I directed years ago was called Monster Mud. It was a family film made for seven-year-old kids. It was like a big Muppety dog character. Mm-hmm. And when we were designing it, uh, I wasn't happy with the designs, and I jumped in, and I was you know, directing, writing, producing, doing all kinds of stuff, and I jumped in to sculpt the, the dog head. And because I had so much going on, um, I realized after the movie was done that I, I should have just let my guys take care of that and, and concentrate on other stuff, because the design... Probably could have been better if I hadn't jumped in. So I made sure that I didn't do that on this one. But it is hard for me to not jump in and dictate visual look. But again, Martin Astle's my my main guy. He's so good that I, I literally just said, "I'm going to lock you in the room. Here's the ideas of what I want. Now just make it happen, and, and we'll rock it out."
1: One of, I mean, this may seem like a mine a bit to you, given given all the magic you're able to achieve on camera and and, and off camera and stuff. But one of the most arresting. Images for me, and it's beautifully shot as well, I should add, uh, in that sense, is, um, again, I won't say who or, or, or why, but somebody gets their throat slashed, and oh. and we see in profile them get their chin lifted up, and then the, the slash separates, so you see yeah. the skin <laughs> on the neck. That was a really interesting shot.
0: Well, you know, we've seen so many throats get slashed, and yeah. I've never seen quite that look and and we had the appliance on and I was just playing with to see what the appliance would do and I was and I thought, you know what, let's do this as a side angle so we can actually see it open up and see something that I haven't seen before from that yeah, angle. Yeah, it's totally the fact that it's being done by by someone lifting up the chin to make it happen, it's just creepy and weird and, and gross all at the same time. So it was just a cool shot. And literally on set when we were doing it everybody was like, oh boy, that's 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 gonna stick. <laughs>
1: yeah no no I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I thought I thought with all the kind of with all the massive scale stuff going on in the movie that maybe i would just i would picked one sort of, you know I'm just being a bit a bit sort of geeky but yeah no it's a really arresting shot because it's like you said I, I haven't thought about it in the sense of I've not seen it before but yeah you're right and and, and because usually, of, go on sorry oh, no, go ahead I was just gonna say usually you know when, when you see a slash throat or something it's
0: you usually see it straight on or you see it in a, in a certain angle that I just wanted to try to do it real simple, actually. I wanted to simplify the shot and just make it so you're almost like just watching what's happening rather than quick, fast shots and action stuff. I just wanted to make it feel like you were standing there watching this happen in front of you.
1: Yeah, because to have the two people in profile is, right. is is really arresting. I mean, it's a beautiful shot anyway. Um, you know, yeah, it's... Like Absolutely unsettling
0: because you're, you're you're seeing the distance of the of the neck open as gushing blood comes out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nasty.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm glad I was. I'm, glad not. I'm not glad that it made me feel a bit queasy, but yes, you did you did, you, did, you did you did your job well there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Now your title is is. I can't believe it, it hasn't gone before. I, I, it's, it's a, and, and also, I know you're saying it, it, has, it has its heart in 80s and the film delivers on that. But also, the title makes me think of sort of classic Hammer House you know, and all that kind of stuff as well. It has a real, a real sort of die-in-the-wool horror quality to it, if that makes sense.
0: It's, it's funny because when I first started the film, um, the working title was The Spirit of Halloween. Okay. and that just didn't feel horrific enough. And then we changed it to the terror of Halloween. And then I realized that I didn't want to step on John Carpenter's toes by even using the word Halloween. Mm. Um, and I realized I'd be better off. plus, I, I I felt like the word Hallow's Eve was such a cool um, a, a cool word to use. And a lot of people, uh, I guess in other countries, they don't have Halloween. so, the good thing is, is I didn't want to label this as, as a Halloween movie. I wanted it just to be a horror movie so that it's not something that you can you know, feel like you only have to watch a Halloween, even though Halloween is a huge part of the, of the storyline. But I didn't want it to be categorized as a Halloween movie. So by calling it The Terror of Hallow's Eve, I, I believe a lot of people in other countries may not even know what Hallow's Eve is. So it kind of, and I, and I felt it just the ring of that title for me, again, sounded like you're saying it sounded like something familiar but new.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean I, I could easily have I could easily have found the DVD with and see Peter Cushion or Christopher Lee's face on it with that title as much as I, I can see your movie. It's 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 got a lovely yeah. lovely warning feel to it. Well I tried
0: to I was gonna just go with the terror, but then uh the old movie The Terror, uh legally I couldn't do that. So um that's when I, I came up with the uh Hallows Eve uh, part of it, but I, I'm really happy with the title. And now that the movie's done, the title just fits the movie perfectly.
1: And and you say you're gonna you're gonna be in you're gonna be in London for the for the film. For yeah, I
0: leave. Um, yeah, I'm there on. Uh, I get there on the 25th. The film uh, is playing on Monday the 28th, so I'm gonna be there for the whole weekend. Uh, I can't wait to meet the fans. I can't wait to watch the film with the fans. That's gonna be like the coolest thing ever. I swear, I can't wait.
1: Yeah, no, because I mean, that's I think that's that's the thing. I mean, obviously, I've, I've been privy to to see a to see a preview screening of it, but yeah, it is the the fright audience is is the world for this film to be seen in. You know, you, you're going to have all those people who have, who bring all their knowledge, whatever. You know, different generations of people will have their own sort of have done their own school of horror films, and they'll bring all their um, all, all what they expect of horror films and all what they love about horror films, and they're going to see it in your movie, I think, for sure, as well as as well as the new stuff as well.
0: Yeah, and apparently uh, we're actually doing two screenings, and if I'm correct, I was told that one of the screenings is in uh, the IMAX theater. Mm. So. Uh, if that's true, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be a giant theater, a beautiful theater with great sound. So I just, I, I can't wait to to finally see the response of the fans. Because I've, you know, I've had the film in my pocket for a few months now, and I've only been able to show it to a couple people. So I really haven't had that experience with an audience that has no idea what to expect. And and online right now we have all kinds of uh, behind the scenes and different things going on, but we're not really showing the creatures much. We're just showing a little bit of the Trickster, and that's pretty much it. Um, so they have no one has any idea of the army of creatures that are in this film, and when they see it, I, I think uh, it'll be shocking.
1: No, totally. Well, if if you're in the IMAX, then yeah, that's a kind of 750 seater screen.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. I, I think we're in there. I was told that, but uh, that would just be fantastic. I can't wait. I've never been to London before. I've never been to Fright Fest. Um, this is uh, this is just gonna be the coolest thing for me personally. And again, I can't wait to meet the fans. That's gonna be so cool.
1: Well, look. I'm sure you're gonna have a ball. You have been listening to oh. the Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast. <laughs>